Coming up on Reboot Your Life, we go to the Sundance Film Festival for a major documentary that looks at the opioid crisis, addiction, and a part of America that's all too real for many of us. Plus, a woman who survived Nazi Germany has extraordinary insight on how to age gracefully. She's past the 80-year-old mark and says her life is just beginning. It's next. From Riverside Recovery, it's Reboot Your Life. Experience the ultimate reboot of your journey. Start anew and rediscover you. Transform your story. Rewrite your life. It's Reboot Your Life with Carrie Harrison and Ashley Neal. From the Riverside Recovery Studios in Tampa, Florida, Carrie Harrison with you along with Ashley Neal, and thanks for listening to Reboot Your Life, where we help you get back to life you love. Through life hacks for recovery, resilience, battling addiction, expert advice, and stories of our human experience. Make sure you subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen. Each week, you'll get new episodes both on the radio and on every streaming platform. You can also tweet us at Reboot Your Life. Picture an 11-year-old boy named Curtis living in the heart of rural Appalachia. His life, like others around him, is deeply affected by drug abuse and poverty. The question is, can Curtis break the cycle of addiction that has troubled his family for generations? Well, there's a new film called Inheritance that took over 11 years to make, and it's a journey with Curtis, tracking his life from 12 to 18. And this movie looks at life through his eyes, exploring a world of hope, of struggle, acceptance, and an ongoing fight against addiction. Inheritance is an exploration of the roots of the opioid crisis, the underlying societal issues, and a deteriorating sense of belonging. This is the America that often slips the mind where escaping from it is no more than a mere dream. Well, behind the camera was Matt Moyer and Amy Tunsing, a husband and wife team, renowned photojournalists and explorers for National Geographic. Their works have appeared uh, on all the major press like the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, PBS, and this film is about drugs and addiction and their passionate debut feature in documentary filmmaking. It's from the Sundance Film Festival or Slam Dance, which is the cool portion of Sundance in Park City, Utah, which is where they are right now live. And I want to welcome you both, Matt Moyer and Amy Tunsing. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having us. We are super glad you're here. And maybe you could share with us the inspiration behind your documentary, Inheritance. What drew you to this kid we'd otherwise not know about, but he's one of many? You know, uh, it, it kind of uh, snuck up on us, in all honesty. Uh, I was in uh, Ohio. Um, I took a break from being a photojournalist for a little while to get a master's, and I was studying uh, filmmaking. And I ended up meeting uh, the boy's older cousin, JP, who's a prominent character in our film. And after documenting JP and hearing his story for a number of years, we ended up uh, meeting Curtis, the boy. And as soon as we met him, he was so captivating and so hopeful and just an incredible boy who had really seen so much. And so we thought he would be a really great way to talk about what was going on in parts of America that were really struggling. So in the movie Inheritance, you see this boy, Curtis, growing up in a family plagued by drug abuse. How did you approach filming such, let's just say, it's a sensitive, it's a personal journey, it's prickly, but you filmed it for years. 
Yeah, so we, our background, both Matt and myself, were longtime photojournalists. Uh, we started at the New York Times, as you said, and then we've been working for National Geographic for over 20 years. Uh, and so our work as photojournalists is to immerse ourselves, uh, to be um, fly on the walls uh, in people's lives. Uh, we have, we've had the honor to, to witness uh, people's lives, families, individuals uh, all over the world. And so uh, Matt did primarily most of the cinematography for this, and he approached it in the same way we do our long-form photojournalistic stories. You know, you you have this kid, Curtis, your star, I guess that's the word we would use, uh, just because we all grew up watching movies. Uh, didn't want to be one, but is one. So he's also our window into a forgotten America where drug addiction and poverty are prevalent, would be the polite word for it. What are you guys hoping that viewers take away from his story and the, the larger issue you present in your film? Oh, that's such a great question. Empathy. I think the thing that drove us to a large extent with this project was thinking of the one in eight children in America that are living in homes where substance abuse is present. And this notion of pull yourself up by the bootstraps and just find your own way out that sometimes permeates, I think, um, the way and we think about individuals who are struggling with this, the reality is much more complex. He is in a family that has amazing amounts of love and care, but they are caught in cycles that are much larger than each of them individually. And I think it's so important that when we think of people who are struggling with substance abuse, um, we think of Curtis because they probably came from a place very often like him in which he was immersed in it and and tried to find his way through that. And it's just very, very difficult. I remember growing up, uh, my father had, it's a, called a gimbal. You put it in a boat, it's a little basket. And when the boat lists, the thing swings and your beverage doesn't spill. He had one on each door of his car and he could put his giant martinis in there and go 90 and take large corners. I grew up with that as being, well, that's normal. Like who doesn't have a gimbal in their car door? I'm sure the DUI laws, however that was supposed to work, too young to understand. But that, to me, was normal, surrounded by the same thing. And, you know, a child is nothing more than a laptop with the software installed on it. And so you got to, you showed us the software, you showed us the hardware, the operating system, and then somehow this kid gets out or, or survives, let's put it that way. And a message of hope because that's the part that's missing in all addiction and in, in all, the hopelessness of it all. It's never going to end, and there is no positive way through. But you find that after so many years of chronicling this. Well, I would say um, the hope is in the like enormous amount of love that you see in this family, uh, and that's, that's really one of the most beautiful parts of the film um, and that Matt captured so beautifully with his cinematography is uh, and the relief in the film, because it's, frankly, it's a pretty dark story, and um, Curtis doesn't necessarily get out. Uh, he he is he he is still uh, surrounded by it. Um, but I think the hope is is in the love that this family shares, and that they stick. They're sticking with each other. Um, they're always there for each other. Um, but I think uh, the film probably leaves you more in a sense of where where what's Curtis gonna do. How is he going to um, continue on with his adult life? 
I appreciate it so much you making this film. I think it's important for Americans and really, you know, globally people to understand all the aspects of addiction. Um, when we're talking about the opioid epidemic in America, how do you see Curtis's story fitting in? Do you think it's similar to other stories or do you think there's a difference? You know, the, uh, that's a great question. Uh, it is so complex and there are so many stories, individual stories behind every single person who is struggling with substance abuse and addiction. And the, the film, I think, speaks to the, um, the underlying causes to addiction and the struggles that are, that are uh, impacting people. It isn't just a film about opioids. Each family member who has struggled with addiction, very often it might be different types of substances. So it really speaks to a, uh, I think, um, intergenerational trauma and a hopelessness that comes in certain communities. I think that this story, even though we're focusing on a family in rural Appalachia, there are many families in inner cities that are struggling with similar stories of, of um, the way in which intergenerational trauma is passed down and that that affects the way people uh, deal with the things that they're dealt in life. Um, so I think it's a story that also speaks to um, one out of eight children in America uh, are living in homes with substance abuse. And in Curtis's community, we were told that it was 25 to 30% of children are in the same circumstance as him. We're talking to Matt Moyer and Amy Tunsing, husband and wife team, renowned for photojournalists, explorers for National Geographic. Their works have appeared uh, in all the major press like the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, PBS, and their film, Inheritance, is about drugs and addiction. It's the, their passionate debut in feature documentary film filmmaking, and we're talking to them from the Slamdance slash Sundance Film Festival in Park City, Utah, about their new documentary. Uh, let's talk for just a second about why this problem is so huge in America. You go to Norway and people are just not all hooked on opioids. Uh, you go to a lot of places that we would call developed worlds, but in America, this is like home base for completely out of control. You must have developed some theories on this after watching this so intensively for so many years. Yeah, I think uh, to continue what Matt was talking about, um, the what's going on in these communities, there's uh, there's been a sort of systematic dismantling of of community uh, throughout rural America uh, over the last fifty years, I would say, um, and that would include uh, the local skating rink going away, the the public pool. Um, the high schools are being consolidated. So you don't have your just small town local high school football team games to go to. Uh, so there's there's a sense of isolation. Uh, and then the jobs have disappeared, especially in these Rust Belt zones, but I think throughout America, uh, in these rural areas, the the mill towns are 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 gone. They've been systematically um deteriorated. So I think that there's a a sense of community that's disappearing has has disappeared, and and then therefore a sense of belonging. Uh, I know with Curtis Curtis's family, there's also a sense of isolation, uh, and especially if you're in the foster care system, uh, there becomes a real feeling of us and them, 
and so then it's even harder to reach out and get that help from from the community. Matt Moyer and Amy Tunsing, you guys do something in your film that we don't often see. Uh, a lot of people don't make it. A lot of people don't survive. Um, that's not the Hollywood way. I mean, if it is, you just cut to another scene and we just move on. It's just part of the storytelling arc. Uh, but yours is true. Yeah, you know, that's a such a great point. And I think a big push for us in making this film is to hopefully create a conversation uh, that we need to do better as a society because these kids, like Curtis, and whether it's in rural Appalachia or inner city Chicago or whatever it might be, they are too precious to be collateral damage. And that comes down to us figuring out a way to do better by them and their families. And that probably means we have to take a hard look at how we provide mental health services and counseling services, not just for a child, but for the entire family so that they can break these cycles of intergenerational trauma. Because that's a lot of what this is, is growing up in homes where they've really struggled, their parents struggled, their grandparents struggled. And what do you expect for the next generation? So we need to do better by them. And I'm hoping that this is a, a call to action uh, through empathy uh, to make a difference. You know, we talk a lot about PTSD. We talk a lot about trauma. And until you get that fixed or dealt with, do EMDR, whatever the, the therapies are that are out there, until you do that, it just keeps on going. So you could be 90 years old, still reacting as if you're six, you know, because you, your body keeps the score, as they say. And boy, did you get to see that firsthand. I mean, a lot of us know about it. A lot of us read about it. You saw it. Yeah, and I think we would be, I would be remiss to also mention that, um, you know, there's uh, sexual abuse is also a big part of uh, what comes into play. Uh, we do see part of that happening, playing out uh, in the film as well. Uh, and I think that's one of the many complex issues that needs to be addressed around um, the larger issue of inherited trauma and addiction. Uh, and then again, the isolation. Uh, all of this stuff uh, comes into play. It's complex. These are not easy problems to solve. Um, I think some of the most effective approaches that that I'm witnessing just anecdotally, um, Ashley, I'd be curious to hear what you say, but um, is when um, providers are coming in and they're looking at the family as a whole unit and that everybody needs therapy, everybody needs to be taken care of. And these regions need jobs too. People need work. They need self-worth. Yeah, that's definitely an important component. The treatment provider that I work for, we have a family program because we recognize the importance of not only the family support, but also the family healing too, because the person who is experiencing the substance use disorder is not the only person that's affected by the consequences of that person's drug or alcohol use. You know, the family suffers um, on the sidelines for many, many years, sometimes decades, um, feeling hopeless and feeling like they are powerless and not really having um, any understanding of what they can do outside of getting help for the person. But, you know, the, the real uh, meat and potatoes of it is getting help for themselves too. And also I'm learning more about the recovery communities 
uh, where how important that is. You'll you'll hear one of the characters, JP's partner, Paula, talks about how it's so hard for them. They have to go deeper into isolation because all of their friends are have substance abuse disorder. And so there's a peer pressure, not just family, but like if you don't surround yourself with other people who are committed to recovering, you're never going to recover. It's a fact, <laughs> you know, as they say, if you hang around a barber shop, sooner or later, you're going to get a haircut. <laughs> so, you know, you really, you just, you can't dangle your hook of chum in the waters of poison and think at some point it's not going to come back. So yeah, it's a, it's literally a rebooting of life. And if you don't have a place to go do it, which is what we see in your film, it's not, oh, I think I'll just, <laughs> you can't. You're stuck there. So how do you make it happen in the confines of an environment that is not welcoming toward recovery or even wants to talk about it? So that means you guys uh, faced challenges beyond anyone's imagination as storytellers, as filmmakers, during these, these 10 years making this documentary from a logistical standpoint as well as an emotional standpoint. Absolutely. Uh, you know, and... The logistics are the easy part, <laughs> you know? Um, there were many, many days when I would show up at the family home, um, having arranged to be there, knock on the door and nobody would come to the door. Uh, they were having a bad day. They weren't ready to be filmed. They were struggling in some way. And so I would leave and then I'd come back the next day and they would be in a better place and open up and we'd talk, uh, I would check in to make sure that they were okay with me being there. And then uh, we would go on and film. And I think it's very important to also point out that uh, to a person in this film, they wanted the film made to, to get a message out, to, to, to create a dialogue and to raise awareness. Uh, so the bravery and the courage that every person in this film that is, is in the film, Curtis and others, uh, the, the bravery that they showed is astounding. Well, we want to thank you for coming on Reboot Your Life. This has been, uh, well, you guys are brave and we love brave people. Like you literally have done something that hasn't been done before. We all need to see it. Uh, you, you know, this topic is ubiquitous in all the news, but it's so vague. You can't really connect with it. You don't really wrap your head around it and understand it. And you've actually taken us in there and put us through the eyes of a little boy to actually watch and experience what this really means. And I think we can, a lot of us can relate to it. Uh, a lot of us will be able to react to it. We've been talking to Matt Moyer and Amy Tunsing, a husband and wife team, renowned photojournalists, explorers for National Geographic. Their works have appeared in all major press like New York Times, Wall Street Journal, and on PBS. And they've done a film called The Inheritance about drugs and addiction. And it's their passionate debut in a feature documentary filmmaking. And we're speaking to them from the Slamdance slash Sundance Film Festival in Park City, Utah, where they're about to jump on a plane all about their new documentary, Inheritance. Coming up, what happens when you grow up in Nazi Germany, survive it, leave it, and have a lifetime of PTSD, which you're able to turn into success and fulfillment? Well, that secret comes from the woman with super resilience, and it's next. Are you familiar with Riverside Recovery of Tampa? Well, they offer a profound, all-embracing approach to addiction treatment. With a dedicated team of empathetic professionals, Riverside Recovery is committed to guiding individuals on their path to enduring recovery, using a variety of science-backed therapies, counseling, and support services. 
Riverside Recovery values the individuality of every recovery journey. Their tailored treatment plans respond to the specific needs, the hurdles, the goals of each resident, providing effective aid regardless of whether you're taking your first steps in recovery or maintaining your progress. With Riverside, recovery isn't just achievable, it's an influential journey towards a healthier, brighter future. The testimonials of those who've undergone treatment there are evidence of rediscovered self-worth and potential. Located on the tranquil Hillsborough River of Tampa, Riverside serves as a peaceful haven promoting self-discovery and healing. They acknowledge that recovery is about more than just overcoming difficulties, it's also about finding your innate strength and resilience. The Riverside Recovery's committed team are your empathetic allies in your recovery journey. They comprehend that genuine healing involves the mind, the body, and the spirit, meticulously dealing with all facets of addiction. You can discover more at rrtampa.com. That's rrtampa.com. Or reach out at 1-800-871-5440. That's 800-871-5440. 800-871-5440 or rrtampa.com. Life 2.0. It's your life and your reboot. It's Reboot Your Life with Carrie Harrison and Ashley Neal. Carrie Harrison with you along with Ashley Neal. Thanks for listening to Reboot Your Life where we help you get back to life you love through life hacks for recovery, resilience, the science of addiction, tons of valuable insights, expert advice, relatable stories of human experience. Since we're based in Florida and Riverside Recovery is really the premier rehab treatment center uh, in the state of Florida, they also are the first ones to have lined up to help veterans. And there's a huge veteran population in Florida. Not only do people come down here and retire, but in the Tampa Bay area, we have Central Command, McDill Air Force Base. So not only do we have a giant Air Force footprint, but all of the Middle Eastern wars are prosecuted right out of here. Plus, we have the Marine Corps. And a lot of veterans, when they come back, like in L.A., uh, some 25% of the homeless people, it turns out, are veterans. Why? Because they've been taught one thing how to do A, B, and C, which might not work at a car dealership or in a restaurant. And so often it's hard for them to find jobs because, well, they don't have any history of doing the kind of work that civilian life offers. So many end up drinking. Uh, there's the PTSD and the drama, trauma from what they went through, and it just sort of sits untreated for millions of people all over the country. But here's Riverside years ago said, you know, we really need to help these people. We recognize this problem. And in the state of Florida, with three, third, fourth largest state in the United States, I mean, we are a big deal uh, poised to actually help people. Tell us a little bit about it. You were just up in the state capital, Tallahassee. Yes, I believe the number is uh, Florida is definitely one of the top three locations for veterans to live i believe the other two are texas and california and riverside's focus really from the beginning of opening back in 2017 was to help veterans because we're aware of how many veterans are suffering with substance use disorder but also mental health issues so we have a veterans program called valor and locally and when i say locally i guess i really should say um regionally a way that somebody that is a veteran can receive help is by being service connected to a veterans hospital 
And that also will lead the way to them getting help through what's called the community care network. Riverside Recovery is um, in network with the community care network. Basically what that is, is if the veterans hospital that you are service connected to either has a substance use program or doesn't, they can then when they're full in their program, if they have one, or if they don't have one, they can refer veterans to outside resources that provide treatment. So that's what the community care network is. And Riverside is within that network. And Riverside, unlike uh, the other providers, well, let's just say unique from the other providers, it actually shows up. It shows up in Tallahassee. It shows up and is overtly looking to help veterans, uh, which Going back to World War I, veterans have been asking, please help us. Uh, so this is unique in such a large populated state um, to actually have a rehab that literally with focus and compassion is looking to help this group of people. It, it's an act of patriotism uh, way outside the box. It's so cool. Yeah, there are definitely veterans from many wars, current and past foreign wars as well that are in need of treatment. I know a gentleman who is a veteran of the Vietnam War that's been sober for around, I would say, 28, probably approaching 30 years. And I, I know his personal story of getting back from the war and not feeling supported by, you know, anyone really in the United States. Um, but having a substance use disorder, living on the streets for quite a number of years, and then eventually uh, deciding to get help. And he sought treatment through a veterans hospital, but he was fortunate because where he was, that veterans hospital had a program, but that is not the case everywhere. So that that's the good thing about having programs like Valor at Riverside Recovery that can do that treatment when it's not available through the Veterans Administration. Now, I would imagine that a lot of veterans or families of veterans who aren't up on the law, it's not like this stuff is on CNN every night, it's the front page of the New York Times, how stuff works and who's paying for what isn't even in the news. You just sort of find out because maybe you're interested. So a lot of veterans or, or friends of veterans or family members aren't gonna know that there's actual help available that they don't have to come up with like all kinds of money and break their backs to make happen. This is going to be news for people. Yes, that's a very good point. Uh, I actually have another friend who is a veteran who um, unfortunately is involved in the criminal justice system currently, and he is in desperate need of some treatment for a substance use disorder. And I, I kind of had to talk him through the process. He had no real understanding of what was available to him. And he is 100% service connected. So, um, but I think honestly, that was just part of him not making the phone call. Because if you call a Veterans Administration, they will walk you through the process and tell you what's available. But I, I think sometimes uh, veterans just, they don't really know where to turn. I don't think they necessarily think of anything outside of healthcare being offered at the veterans hospital, but, you know, mental health, substance use, that's healthcare too. And, and I think that's where we have to shift the mindset a bit into recognizing that. You know, one of the things that the Riverside Recovery 
website has is an excellent blog. I mean, really an excellent blog that has so many different uh, issues and topics on there. And there's a whole section, a whole drop down on the whole homepage at rrtampa.com, rrtampa.com, which stands for Riverside Recovery Tampa, rrtampa.com, a drop down that says veterans. Yeah. And it's like everything you need to know and how to do it. And it's not complicated. Literally a phone call and you start that machine and people who've had PTSD for years, uh, anything service related like that, uh, you're eligible. And the federal government is now finally picking up the tab for this because they recognize that it's not all in your head in that make-believe way. Oh, it's just all in your head. Yes, it's all in your head. It really is. And, <laughs> and treating it is a good idea. Yeah. Yeah, there's definitely a wealth of information on our website. And I think really for anyone, veteran or civilian, Whenever you recognize the need for treatment, reaching out is hard. Uh, you don't necessarily know where to turn. I mean, I think back to when I needed to go to treatment, you know, almost two decades ago, I was very young and I grew up in a very rural part of Florida that did not have any treatment. It wasn't something I was hearing on radio ads or seeing billboards for all the time. So I had to ask someone that I worked with. Um, and I just happened to luck out that someone that I worked with had a parent that had been to treatment before. And I think very often that's how so many things happen is through word of mouth. But if we can do word of mouth here on this podcast and let people know, you know, here's where you can find resources, that's very helpful as well. Yeah, when I went to treatment, uh, the stigma was so off the charts I remember dressing up in a suit and carrying a briefcase to the airport so it would look like I was going on a business trip. I wasn't wow. even a businessman, but you know, they, they were watching and they would have an opinion. And so I just faked it all the way, you know, because God forbid, not that everyone didn't see me like wasted at any of the local bars or happy hours, but taking a plane trip, let's just make that one look really good because they're all going to know. I mean, that's the kind of stigma. And a veteran is going to have that same stigma because the whole training and boot camp is about being strong, you know, powering your way through, never show you're weak. And people are going to assume it's a kind of weakness, but it's a huge strength to go get fixed. That takes bravery. Yes. Yeah. The, you know, I, you referenced the stigma back many years ago when you needed treatment. Unfortunately, I think the stigma still exists, but, but I do think we've made some headway. And I think um, local governments, state governments, the federal government, they're doing their part to reduce stigma, changing language when we're talking about people with substance use disorders. Um, but it's also happening in professional environments. It's happening in the business community mental health and recognizing the need for mental health care is just, it's more accepted today than ever before, I believe. But getting to talk with lawmakers and educate them about the issues that are affecting not only the people that have a substance use disorder, but also their families, their employers, and their communities, getting to provide that education to lawmakers is very key. You know, I would be considered a subject matter expert because I, you know, not only am in long-term recovery myself, but I work in behavioral health 
And when you think about lawmakers, they have so many issues that they have to understand. It's really my job or the job of any advocate that, you know, has a passion for something to provide the education to lawmakers. So that that to me is one of the most important things about an advocacy day and meeting with lawmakers. But, you know, also I learn every time I'm there just how another part of the process works. And it is a very intricate process. You know, it seems uh, just as we wrap this up, it seems that the. My train of thought just derailed. Um, ah, it seems that that's really the core of democracy is that when you show up and you tell your representative, this is what we, the people need, then they can respond. But if they don't know you need it, they can't respond to it. So I think you've just shown us again, what happens when you show up and talk to your representatives. Now they know. Now you can also hold them accountable. Yes. Accountability is huge. But, you know, the other piece that's encouraging is I think a lot of people are intimidated by meeting with lawmakers. Uh, most people that I talk to and, and you know, try to get them on my wagon to go to Tallahassee, they're very intimidated. But this year, there were a couple people in my group who had never done anything like this before. And one of the first meetings that we had was with a state rep from Miami, who is also an educator. So she prefaced our meeting by telling us she was going to give us a little bit of education on what we needed to do to be better prepared for the next time we came to Tallahassee. And she actually helped walk us through a process of better communicating with the lawmaker on a specific issue, you know, knowing about appropriations and knowing about just I mean, there's so many different things, but um, I appreciated that so much. And it really helps you build rapport with them and realize that they're not scary people. They're just like us, you know, they're teachers, lawyers, um, public servants, you know, maybe they have their own business, but then this is something that they also do is spend 60 days in Florida. That's how long the session is. 60 days in Tallahassee, you know, signing bills into law and discussing issues that are all Floridians are facing. Wow. Well, this is great. And if you're a veteran or a family or somebody who cares or wants to know more, you could shoot us a tweet and we'll get back to you at reboot your life at or X send us an X at <laughs> reboot your life. And, uh, you know, Ashley, really, you are the expert probably in the whole state really among the top. So how lucky to have you aboard here on Reboot Your Life. Like, lucky me. Yay. (laughs) Glad we talked about this. Riverside Recovery of Tampa was created to offer state-of-the-art treatment options to people suffering from addiction. The model was developed to meet clients and their families where they are at and provide them with the tools and education needed so that they can achieve long-term recovery. No two people are the same, and no two people have the same experience with addiction. And it is for this reason that we tailor each treatment plan to the unique needs of each individual. Located alongside the Hillsborough River in the heart of Tampa, Riverside Recovery offers the full continuum of care. And what that means means is that we offer medical detoxification, residential care, day treatment, intensive outpatient, and outpatient levels of care. The program at Riverside is focused on high quality clinical care offered in a safe, comfortable, and serene environment 
where everyone feels empowered to change the course of their lives. The stigma that surrounds addiction continues to be high on the list of reasons that people do not seek help. At Riverside Recovery, we are working to change the narrative and empower people to recognize addiction as a disease, not a moral failing. We can recover, and we do, as evidenced by the thousands of people who have taken that courageous first step and asking for help. The staff at Riverside understand what it's like to recover. In fact, over 75% of our staff are in long-term recovery. If you or someone you know needs help and are ready to seek treatment, call Riverside Recovery of Tampa at 1-800-871-5440. That's 800-871-5440. You can learn more about the treatment we provide at rrtampa.com. Again, that's rrtampa.com. Life 2.0. It's your life and your reboot. It's Reboot Your Life with Carrie Harrison and Ashley Neal. From the Riverside Recovery Studios in Tampa, Florida, Carrie Harrison with you along with Ashley Neal. Thanks for listening to Reboot Your Life, where we help you get back the life you love through life hacks for recovery, resilience, battling addiction, expert advice, and stories of our human experience. Make sure you subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen. Each week, you'll get new episodes both on the radio and on every streaming platform. You can also tweet us on X at Reboot Your Life. Let's meet Vivian Knabel, the very embodiment of an optimistic spirit and a grateful heart. Despite life's many battles, she stands strong at almost 80, saying she feels like she's just at the beginning. And I want to have that. Vivian's memoir, From Rubble to Champagne, vividly describes her triumphant journey from a uh, triumphant journey from surviving the ravages of war-torn Germany to enviable success and fulfillment. So impactful was her story that it inspired a heart-rending documentary called An Unimportant Girl, but it turns out she's anything but unimportant. Her newest book, The Art of Aging, looks at how we can make the aging journey as invigorating and fulfilling as possible. And Vivian Knebel, we're so glad you're here. Thank you for having me. So you started in war-torn or post-World War II Germany, which meant you grew up in Nazi Germany, which is something difficult for anybody to wrap their head around unless they've watched the History Channel, and that's not exactly accurate. But let's just say, uh, as Orwell would have said, double plus on good, going through that experience, and you survived it. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, that historical turbulence and insights you can offer uh, World yes. War II. Yeah. Yes, yes. Well, you know, in, I was born at the height of Nazi Germany in the epicenter Berlin. Um, uh, so I do not remember, I was just a baby, I do not remember the, the war itself, but I remember the aftermath, the destruction, you know, uh, of a city that was completely, the city was completely ravaged and uh, I'm no stranger to adversity. I experienced early on how cruel and yet beautiful life can be. You know, uh, hunger and cold were a constant at that time. And I was a, an illegitimate daughter of a fiercely devoted mother who struggled to keep uh, uh, her two daughters alive during this war. And uh, growing up in the aftermath, it was tough. And I also dealt with immigration uh, looking for a better life, like the typical German immigrants. And uh, uh, there I uh, had to go through some very 
rough times as well because we were not in command of the language. I was only 13 at the time. But let me tell you, when the boat made its way into the water and I was only 13, I looked at my homeland and I vowed one day I'll come back successful. I already had uh, put a seed in my mind. I already, right then and there, I must have manifested my destiny. I love all of this so much. And I think that uh, people could definitely draw some positivity from you because, you know, just knowing a little bit about your story, not only the hardships that you faced in wartime, but you've also had some personal challenges, suicide attempts, you've battled cancer, you know, you've experienced. It is a story of overcoming. And it just shows you with a positive mindset, you know, Uh, and optimism that cheers us on in everything we do in life because it's like writing a script for your life I kind of feel like I wrote a script for my future it's uh and I hold this imagine this vision hold it close to my heart and I walk around with a smile knowing I've got something to look forward to it is all nothing changes it is your mindset entertain the right thoughts Thoughts will grow, and if they're good thoughts, they will um, expand. If they're bad thoughts, better get you down and start appreciating. Stop depreciating all the time. We live in this country here, uh, which op- uh, welcomed me with open arms. I was uh, a girl without without a country since I was an illegitimate child. I was not given citizenship, so that's also a strike against me. And uh, when I was welcomed into this country, I, I was so immensely grateful and I became very emotional. And it just, uh, I think we need to be grateful. I think grateful that, that, that because I am so grateful, I think I, was, I allowed myself to build a life of happiness. Let's talk for just a quick second, Vivian Knabel, about your suicide attempt because a lot of people connect with that. Uh, there could be thousands of people listening right now that have thought about it, maybe more than once a week, maybe more than once a day. Uh, And so here we're hearing, you know, this positive message, which is your growth, your transformation, your resilience. But at one point, that wasn't your situation. It was a breaking point. Yeah. It was a breaking point. The lowest point in my life. You see, we immigrated... um, uh, uh, to Canada first. I was 13 and there I went into the job market at age 14. I was uh, uh, sexually abused there and I had to leave and uh, then uh, uh, found another job and uh, it was very, very tough uh, to have been po- to, to have to start work at the age of 14 when you are not fully grown, you know, you're still a child really. And then going through these traumatic experiences, eventually I went to night school. I learned how to uh, type in stenography and I landed a job at Volkswagen sales and service, you know, the iconic car dealership. And uh, there I, uh, I was working in the accounting department. I, I uh, was working with older people, uh, much older people than I was. I was only 17 or, or at that time, 16. And uh, uh, then uh, I spiraled into deep depression. And I thought this is, no matter how much I try this, you know, this is just, this, this is not, I can't deal with this. I, I was 
And at 17, what do you know? You think life is not going to change. This is it. But I want to give that message to young people that, or anyone really who is suicidal, uh, who thinks this they can no longer go on. Uh, life is not static. It changes, even if we don't want it to. So this is good that you're bringing this up because I want to let people know it always better is always coming. You know, if you you just keep your head high and move forward. And so yeah, and at, at seventeen, then I uh, had purchased a, a used a little car and uh, had uh, rented a, a garage at some duplex, a single garage. And uh, I heard somewhere that when you start the motor and uh, uh, and uh, close the garage door, that the carbon monoxide would render you unconscious. And that is exactly what I did. And by a miraculous intervention, a, a little girl stood in front of me. She must have been around six and asked me what I was doing. She came in the side where she must have been the daughter of the owner of the person who uh, had rented this uh, garage to me. And I just immediately stopped the motor, opened the garage door and, and said, I'm, immediately, I'm, I'm just gonna wash my car. And so I just clung to a glimmer of hope. What else could I do? And returned to my regular life. And eventually I got a, a job uh, where uh, in the uh, service department where the, I saw customers and I felt already better and met my husband who believed in me and brought out the best in me, who uh, always encouraged me to learn and grow. And it was a marriage made in heaven. I'm now married for 59 years. And now I'm challenged again because my husband is ill, but I it gives me a chance to give back and to nurture him and... Uh, and do something good for him. A story of amazing resilience from Vivian Knebel, whose triumphant journey from surviving the ravages of World War II Germany to enviable success and fulfillment inspired a documentary. She's not only teaching us about the art of resilience, but also about the art of aging. Her latest book about that, in which she looks at how we can make the aging journey as invigorating and fulfilling as possible. Advice, I guess, that you would offer on how people can age gracefully and with dignity, because yes, it is I, definitely a hard, a hard pill for people. I, I imagine yes. maybe more so women to yes. accept the aging process. Yes, because we live in a in a. Uh, in a culture where youth is idolized, aging is looked as not good. But you know, whatever life takes from us, we have to understand this, whatever life takes from us, our outside, outside may change, but our inner uh, being can grow intellectually. And there is so much with our experience and wisdom that we can give back. And I do mention that uh, if you priorities uh, prioritize um, uh, physical health and also uh, 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 um, um, emotional well-being, uh, I think that uh, brings dignity into your life. And also, you have to learn to let go of the past, let go of that grip, you know, of youth. Uh, and when you let go your hand will be open to something maybe much bigger, much more important. You know, meaningful, deep connections. We need those from our first breath to, to our last. So, uh, yeah, stay positive. 
and also as an older person, be the kind of person that people want to be around. You know, and if you need help, be grateful for the help that you get. Be grateful to your caregivers uh, and not complain and become hard. It, it is an, a mind, a thing that is a mindset. The World War II portion of it, or post-World War II, is still kind of a fantasy for people in the U.S. I mean, we've never had a world, you know, we go to places, but it never came here. So yeah. we really can't wrap our head around it. Can you recall some of like what it was like? You were 10, 9, 8, but you, yes, you still yes, have some- Yes, I do. I uh, see, I was raised by a single mom in this tough time where hunger and cold was a constant. And I remember going with a little pail uh, after that uh, huge, um, department store, KDV, which is well known, it's a, it's a, it was destroyed, a Canadian bomber. Uh, I, I stood as a little girl in front of a big hole and the Canadian bomber had crashed in there. And later on, a uh, few years later, they rebuilt that KDV and they had a food section. And since food was so scarce, I went with a little metal pail to uh, the uh, meat department and uh, asked for scraps for my cat well these scraps were not for my cat my mother used them to make soup soup for us and my mother had worked the black market she was striking deals just to bring food on the table very tough for you know for a single mom to to uh, protect her children get her children through but uh, it was very very tough but all german people suffered you know they had to they had to uh, uh, deal with all the ramifications you know the that all the things the, that had happened during the war they lost everything and they all tried to keep their families afloat it was very very tough and i think we need to learn from this and uh, and uh, and uh, behave in a manner that we all get along better you know why do we have to have this terrible human aggression of war you know we let's make this a kinder world. That is what I believe. You know, there's so much anger right now going on uh, here uh, in the world all over. So much anger going on. Let's put our heads together. Let's, let's get along. Let's, let's unite. You know, when, and also my greatest wish or what it would be that America would reunite. There's so much strength in unity. And this is such a beautiful country. People don't realize what, you know, I would say that my core values are stability, security, and the value of freedom. You know, and people people take it for granted. It's, it's very sad. Think you know, about to, it. To your point, uh, having grown up in Nazi Germany, which ended by the time you left, but having grown up in it, the idea of freedom was anathema, although I'm sure they were telling you every day how free you were and that this is what yeah, freedom, but, beautiful, beauty they, and freedom they, really looks like. Yeah, yeah, propaganda, hor horrible. Um, that let's learn from that too. Let's, let's trust in the integrity of our own mind and not follow propaganda. Other people just blindly follow. Think for yourself, you know, and always show compassion and empathy. But you see... I was born in the height of uh, Hitler's Nazi Germany, but I grew up, actually, the war ended. I was born 43, and the war ended 45. You know, also what was interesting, in 1943, the Berlin was shut off. It was cut off. 
and the Americans uh, launched a year-long airlift and dropped food on our city. You know, I have a lot to thank the Americans for. I'm, you know, when you describe what is the best way to describe my character would be a profound sense of gratitude. I have a profound sense of gratitude and all my my uh, uh, experiences from Americans were good ones. You know, they were just good ones. I remember sitting on the lap of a soldier, you know, and they gave us candy and we thought Americans were the greatest people, you know. I think they're, they're brave and open-hearted and I love that. But this was so enjoyable. Thank you so much. And I love how you speak German. It's great. It's es great ausgezeichnet, dass ich, dass ja. ein Amerikaner Deutsch, Deutsch sprechen kann. Ja, das ist fantastisch und sehr gute Aussprache auch. Oh, danke schön. Das freut <lacht> mich sehr. Ja, well, you're doing good. You take care and I thank you so much for having me. Thank, thank you, you so much. Riverside Recovery of Tampa was created to offer state-of-the-art treatment options to people suffering from addiction. The model was developed to meet clients and their families where they are at and provide them with the tools and education needed so that they can achieve long-term recovery. No two people are the same, and no two people have the same experience with addiction. And it is for this reason that we tailor each treatment plan to the unique needs of each individual. Located alongside the Hillsborough River in the heart of Tampa, Riverside Recovery offers the full continuum of care. And what that means is that we offer medical detoxification, residential care, day treatment, intensive outpatient, and outpatient levels of care. The program at Riverside is focused on high-quality clinical care offered in a safe, comfortable, and serene environment where everyone feels empowered to change the course of their lives. The stigma that surrounds addiction continues to be high on the list of reasons that people do not seek help. At Riverside Recovery, we are working to change the narrative and empower people to recognize addiction as a disease, not a moral failing. We can recover, and we do, as evidenced by the thousands of people who have taken that courageous first step and asking for help. You can discover more at rrtampa.com. That's rrtampa.com. Or reach out at one 800 871-5440. That's 800-871-5440. 1-800-871-5440.